Brick Moon Fiction presents The Grab by Eric Del Carlo. Helicopter spin down and down, but there was no chopper. Just Finn in a pressure mould drop suit twirling down through the atmosphere. Air shrieked high and thin. The scream ghosts made when they briefly touched the material plane and saw how the living wasted their precious life moments. Inside the suit, Vina lay insulated. The rip of the wind couldn't reach her in here, and even the howl of her descent was mostly blocked out by the dampeners. But there was no escaping the gut hollowing sense of freefall in the military. They taught you to embrace that feeling, to let it empower you. On drop missions, they wanted you to feel like you could conquer the world. Any world. Vina had gone along with it, of course. She'd mouthed all the right hurrah phrases and dutifully declared she was the baddest motherfucker in any given valley. But a human being could never entirely get past the reality that she or he was a spinning speck when dropping from such heights, practically from the mesosphere. Carlsberg had slid the drop boat in, performing navigational magics Vina couldn't begin to understand. He'd put them in among satellite shadows, disguising the boat's presence amidst pings and echoes and false dawns of multitudinous sensor arrays. The Fitch knew what he was doing, Vina admitted. If that weren't the case, she would surely have been intercepted by now. Security sensors would have zeroed the drop boat, extrapolated every possible descent vector and sent up zip drones to raise her out of the sky. So, Carlsberg had met his task. It remained to be seen whether Jeffers had done his. The old man from his remote site was supposed to unlock the facility for her. If she came down on the floating complex while its every access was still in full normal lockdown, she'd be as dead as if her drop suit had ruptured. Hmm, an old man and a fitch. These were her colleagues on this caper. Methuselah and an artificial person. Uh, Jeffers had lived so many years and had extended his existence again and again through drastic medical means that well, he was permanently webbed into his life-sustaining equipment there in that remote lair of his. But Vina had witnessed what the ancient creature could do. Same for Carlsberg. Fitch or not, he had preternatural piloting skills. Both men had expressed a keen enthusiasm for this heist. Both wanted something desperately. Jeffers wanted his youth back. Carlsberg wanted to have a human soul. And what did she want? Was it any less abstract and fanciful than the desires of her cohorts? This whole caper was mad. She knew that. Probably the two men knew it too. She continued to drop, mile after mile. The suit was coated with a stealth polymer. It was next-generation military tech. Bina had gotten hold of the design specs before her discharge. Only a sensing array deliberately focused on her would detect this drop. But she was just a speck. A spinning speck. She was above the clouds. So was the clandestine facility. She saw it now, still well below. It looked like a, an engine part, all unlovely angles and utilitarian purpose. 
It hung there in the high air, a secret kept from the rest of the world beneath it. But once a secret entered reality, once it existed, it could be found out. Bina had found out about the quantum rosetta. Her military career before it had collapsed so spectacularly had taken her from combat to military intelligence. There she brushed up against complex secrets, mad science researches, biotechnologies and xenotechnologies. The deep, lonely wilderness of unfettered knowledge. She'd heard the whispers. She had glimpsed the outlines of the great discovery without ever being entirely privy to its mysteries. The military had made her into someone capable of such aberrant perceptions, so she couldn't really be blamed for uncovering the truth about the quantum rosetta. With a twitch of the dropsuit's control, she put herself into a counterspin. She started to slow. The facility grew larger, below. She wouldn't know if Jeffers had succeeded until she landed on it. That crazy old man, a husk, a mummy. A dozen tendrils feeding him fluids, taking away tainted blood and exciting nerves which should have long ago disintegrated into quietude. He was a genius, certified and certifiable. In his croaking, servo-enhanced voice, he'd spoken of the glories of the youthful body, the swift, sure beating of the heart, the song of flashing limbs, of twanging sinew, of swelling loins. It meant everything to him to have that back. He'd turned away from all other useful research, becoming an obsessive, a, a crackpot. And was Colesberg any less eccentric in his spooky, watchful way? His generation of carefully sculpted artificiality was several removes from the uncanny valley class of fitches. He could speak and blink and sweat and urinate with convincing verve. His thought processes were within human parameters. It was a fluke, no different from a random artistic aptitude that he could pilot so adeptly. He possessed emotional structure, but you could feel the absence in him, the lack of a key spiritual ingredient. It was the same of all Fitch's. The counterspin of her suit was abetted now by the gravitational flux unit. She'd used these on combat drops when she was still a grisly recruit. The unit's field made you feel like your insides were being stirred, but the effect was dramatic. The freefall turned into something even more unnerving in its way. Now she was hanging up in the high sky, slowing further and further until she floated with the cunning weight of a crow's feather. The facility rose and spread. She picked her landing point. The pressure mould suit turned and she became upright. Seconds later she put her boots on the surface. The descent was done. She was here. She moved toward the nearby access hatchway. Three strides, two heartbeats to get there. If Jeffers hadn't hacked the locking protocols, this would be the last action she ever took. Rina, turn the lock and the hatch open. She didn't pause to savour the victory, she entered. Her dropsuit was remoulding tighter into her body. At 37, she was still very fit, and had she still been in the ranks, she would have still qualified for every kind of physical duty. But military service required more than a hale body, or at least most of the time it did. 
Her discharge, however, had been for subtler, more human reason. The high-altitude facility was uncrewed, but it had been designed so that personnel could move about inside it. It was pressurised, it had atmosphere. The corridor before her was lit. She moved down it. The information she gleaned about the quantum Rosetta and its storage did not include a perfect layout of this complex. She raised her dropsuit's faceplate, felt the neutral air on her sweat-stung face. Her ears strained at the humming silence. She had dropped from near space many times, battle-strapped to a fare-thee-well, ready to zero anything that got in her way. Those old instincts remained in place, guiding her senses. Battlefield logic let her conduct a systematic search. This facility was classified off the book's black bag all the way. Still, what she was after was being kept here. She was almost certain of that. In planning this caper, she hadn't shared her shadow of doubt with Carlsberg and Jeffers. Those two men, one ancient and one synthetic, would function best with absolute certainty on their side. If the quantum Rosetta was at this facility, then she needed their skills to reach it. Afterward, its rewards would be shared equally among the three of them. But it was yet possible that the object they sought wasn't here. Possible still that it did not in fact exist at all. She didn't allow that quiver of uncertainty to grow. If all this turned out to be for nothing, she... she... Oh, she, she honestly didn't know what would be next for her in this shattered life she'd led these past few years. Maybe the outlines she'd discerned were false. Perhaps she had deluded herself into believing the unbelievable or, or better, but still ultimately a catastrophe. She might merely have misinterpreted the cryptic intelligence she'd uncovered. As a soldier, she never had this luxury of doubt. You got orders, you got intel, you went something was fucked up, you unfucked it on the fly. Yeah, she saw that same hard-bitten poise now to match the primed mode of her battlefield senses. It was those senses, tuned to the potential presence of mechanical sentries or, or any other kind of hindrance which first rippled with a strange, supple impression. Something brushed Vina's personal reality. An inexplicable fleeciness passed along the extremities of her perceptibility. Principles softened and bent. Cosmic edicts etched into the first stones ever to cool suddenly seemed to be in play. A great gentle surrealty swarmed over one sense after the next. And yet her foot lifted, came down. She stepped forward into yet another corridor. Her physical self was still realised, operating as if these senses-bending mirages weren't occurring. In one way, they weren't occurring. In another, they were more real than reality. Quantum delirium. She continued forward, and the effect increased. She broke these two facts down into their barest validities. Put together, they meant only one thing. She was getting closer. A closed portal stood at the end of the passageway. The floors and walls were a mousy shade, and the fixtures and fittings were matte. 
The complex was tidy and spartan and utile, and it wasn't really meant to have people aboard it, despite its carefully maintained environment. Those who held the secret of this site hadn't opened it to research, to further exploration of the astounding breakthrough which had led to the creation of the quantum rosetta. Peanut understood that thinking because it was stolid military thinking. Something of fantastic power was under lockdown here, and its existence would not be made general knowledge until it could be utilised to strike the most terror in the worst enemies, whoever that might be at any given time. In the meantime, the tippy-toppest brass didn't trust anybody around the goddamn thing, not even those who'd discovered it. The vast, placid softness continued to coat her senses, shifting the centre of gravity for each one. Her hearing dropped to the points of her shoulders. She tasted air through her navel. Her vision prismed and refracted into a hundred errant beams, but she still managed to see, focusing only on forward sightlines. She was at the sealed portal. This was the other reason she was in on this caper, this scrab. She had the combat experience to make a drop, but she was also here for just this sort of brute eventuality. A locked door. Grinning, she reared back, lifted a heavy boot and kicked the fucker down just as she would have on a get-it-done field mission. But now there was no time to linger. Beyond, a chamber stood. At the centre of the space was the object. Fina stepped in, pulled it out of its anti-gravity sphere and shoved the strange ovoid into her suit's storage sack. After that, it was getaway time. No more niceties. She beat a retreat along the quickish route. She stepped out into the facility's exterior once more to its edge. Then she dove. And again, the air screamed and now the first ribbons of cloud rose towards her. Now, Carlsberg was supposed to have extracted the drop boat and swung it round. He was scheduled to collect her in mid-plummet, just above the commercial traffic lanes. Jeffers was supposed to scramble all commercial sensors, not enough to endanger anybody, just to, just to serve as a, a confusion for any drones that might belatedly pursue them from the facility. Supposed to, supposed to, supposed to, but, you know, things could go wrong on a job, in life, yet. Pina didn't concern herself with that right now. Her senses were adjusting to the proximity of the quantum rosetta. Reality was bending back towards recognisable configurations. That, of course, was what this was all about, she thought, as she plunged through the sky. Remake reality. Give the three of them each a second chance, because none of them could live without their lives were presently shaped. None. She had enlisted as an angry youngster, furious with the world, with, with all the worlds. Every place she'd yet travelled in her short life, she'd seen only greed, ignorance and callousness. Maybe in the military she could turn her twangy adolescent rage into something useful. Her military life provided her with a purpose, or at least with the trappings of one. There was an undeniable cold comfort to be found in the aggressive rituals, the missions, the unquestioned orders. She became a, a very decent combat trooper. It wasn't enough to constitute a life, but it was what she had. Likely her existence would have gone on like that, interminably, neither improving nor worsening. She would have gone on her drops, fighting whoever she was told to fight, and one day the percentages probably would have caught up with her. 
expected zero out and that would be that. Instead, she met Lake. Oh, Lake, who had a child, a girl named Asa. Laura had not sought Vina out before. She scarcely recognised it when it found her now. It didn't matter where or how she met Lake. Didn't matter why he already had a child. Vina, well, she swiftly loved them both and their presences and the reciprocations of her love changed her life as nothing before it ever, ever had the power to do. But this was love, truly. This was joy. This was contentment and, and satisfaction. Beyond those new, wonderful emotional states, Vina discovered that her life was also changing in other ways. Her focus as a soldier increased dramatically. Her problem-solving skills escalated. These changes, they were noted by the officers. She was given a battery of tests afterwards. To her surprise, she was promoted into military intelligence. She held that post for years, excelling in her role. Vina, Lake and Asa. All was perfect. And it wasn't. Then everything was chaos and terror and horror. The military was laced into the infrastructures of every colonised world for a reason. Dangers existed in the settled galaxy, human-made dangers. Nobody had yet found any evidence of alien species. But humankind had brought with it out into the yawning black many, many of his old bad habits. One of these was a tendency to express extreme, or at least deeply felt, beliefs through a tradition called terrorism. Vina's family was snatched up in one of these spasms of terrorisation. The military scrambled, of course. Mill Intel devoted resources to finding and rescuing the abductees. Vina herself wasn't allowed near the situation, but colleagues nonetheless fed her covert briefings. Demands were made for the lives of Lake and Asa. It was later determined that the two had been targeted deliberately as a family of intelligence officers. The hostage situation erupted gruesomely. No one on scene survived. The briefing cleared operatives of any wrongdoing, and her colleagues were vastly sympathetic about her loss. Needless to say, the commiserations didn't do her much good. Her existence had fragmented. So had her mental state, her job performance, even her ability to function as an off-duty individual. Somehow she clung to her role for several months more, but her discharge was written on the wall. Before that happened, though, she caught the whispers. She deduced the ethereal outlines of the great discovery. She put her secret investigations together and decided that the quantum rosetta might just exist. And if it did, she meant to take it. Because it could give her back her life. That life which was empty ashes without her husband and her daughter. Carlsberg snatched her out of the vaulting ether. And Jeffers somehow made himself mobile through the use of a gigantic servo suit. And they all met up at the prearranged coordinates high up in the glacial hills. Vina divested herself of the drop suit. The two accomplices watched her intently. Only Jeffers' face was visible amongst his ambulatory and life-sustaining machineries, but those features were a slow horror of crumbling decade. Yet 
the mine was still sharp, his hacking skills intact. He'd proven that today. Carlsberg had landed the drop boat on an icy mesa and led her wordlessly to this airlocked hollow in the hillside. His face was a study in manufactured handsomeness and his vat-grown body was a superb masculine specimen, but Vino had never felt a flicker of vestigial attraction for the fish. Some people, it was generally known, got off seriously on sex with artificial persons, but the ray blankness of Carlsberg and all his ilk had always troubled her on some primal, instinctive level. It was a prejudice she wasn't particularly proud of when she took the time to ponder it, but... She reached into the discarded dropsuit storage sack at the hollow of the back. This clandestine hillside chamber was sparsely furnished. Their group could hold up here for several days if necessary, though there had been no signs of pursuit since she'd dived off the facility. Bina set the ovate object on the table. It was about the size of a dinosaur egg, the outer surface stippled, a faint aquamarine colour. The egg wasn't the quantum rosetta. The quantum rosetta was inside this container. A heavy sense of ceremony descended on the chamber. Bina's gaze flickered once more over the faces of the others. The glittery need was there, evident even in Carlsberg's somewhat vacant stare, but there was also the dull, profound realisation that they grabbed what they wanted. The caper was over. If this turned out to be a false prize, they'd have no other recourse. Unopened, the container both did and did not hold the quantum rosetta. Somewhere Schrodinger was clucking his tongue and silently advising they go no further. Jeff has croaked in his mostly synthesised voice. My, My senses are fluctuating, Carlsberg added. For a second this surprised Vina, but she quickly rebuked herself. Fitches had the same organic sentry apparatus as any womb-born human. She told both men, We're off pretty fast. They waited it out. The tension remained on the air. The only sounds were the meditative hums of Jeff's service suit and the soft of frigid wind against the sealed airlock door. Finally, everyone was ready. Fina reached toward the table. The quantum Rosetta was supposed to have the capability of rewriting existence on a heretofore unguessed cosmic molecular scale. The breakthrough which had led to its creation had supposedly shown that reality's substance was far, far more malleable than any physicist could ever have previously allowed. Again, suppose, suppose, suppose. Time to find out the truth. She held her desire in mind a clear picture of Lake and Asa, as if she were a little girl, anticipating a miracle at the blowing out of birthday candles. The others were, of course, doing the same. The original researchers were said to have formed their breakthrough into a physical substance, giving it a strange gelatinous life, as it were. The egg had a simple clasp on its side. She undid it and pulled the halves of the ovoid apart. Something coruscating and amorphous and shatteringly beautiful spilled out onto the tabletop. 
And with that, the world ended. Or, not the world. Not this planet which the three heisters were presently on. World as in personal reality. And really, it would be three worlds that ended in that moment, wouldn't it? Been a hope so. She wished the best for her two associates who believed the unbelievable and who had done their jobs with absolute professionalism. With luck, Jeff has now had his youth back and Carlsberg had gained a soul. But what about her? Had she got no wish? All right, drop dogs, you know the drill and you know the mission. I want a clean strike. I want death from above. I want you badass motherfuckers to earn your paychecks today. Do you hear me? And in full-throated chorus, We hear you, Sergeant! Bina screamed it out too, automatically. Her unit was filing into the troop-sized dropship. She looked right and left and saw faces she hadn't seen in years. There was Mendes, who was a captain now, and Christ, there went Ravkov, who died in combat on Cherry's Reach, but but no. No, Vina's time sense was skewed. Her, her now was off by years. She, she recognised this mission. Even as obedient instincts took her aboard the dropship, she was in a suit, battle-strapped, and ready to fight. She flexed her muscles, felt the sinewy tightness everywhere. Oh, this wasn't the body she'd had as an intelligence officer when desk duties had inevitably taken away some of her tautness. In this now, she was still a combat trooper, still very much a fighter, still imbued with that contemptuous anger that had driven her into the military in the first place. This was the last drop she'd undertaken before meeting Lake and his daughter Asa for the first time. Now, it didn't matter where and how that had happened. It would occur at a formal military function where she'd been tapped for security detail. She'd catch Lake's eye. He would attempt to talk to her all night, despite her protestations that she was on duty. Asa, also there with her navigational system contractor father, kept asking who the pretty lady was. Those two marvellous people, parent and child, would turn Vina's life around. They would, without explicitly meaning to, instil her with calm and confidence. She would know love for the first time. Subsequently, she would be deemed fit to serve in Mill Intel, and at a point after that, her husband and adopted daughter would be kidnapped by terrorists who would make a hash of everything and get everyone killed. Or... Or she could resign from the ranks, as she was eligible to do after some many years in. She could truly start a new life. Give up what was basically a, a charade to start with. Oh, her heart had never really beat with a soldier's blood after all. She'd mouthed her way through these past years going along because life had left her so few other opportunities. Instead... She could go off with Lake and Isa taking them both out of harm's way at the same time. Oh, that sounded like an awfully good idea. Behind her drop suit's faceplate, she grinned. She'd never grinned on a mission before, but this one, this one, after all, would be her last.
The sergeant was screaming more get-pump slogans and the, the unit was responding according to long-held tradition. The dropship was in motion, swooping out toward the enemy. Pina. Pina just needed to live through this last drop. She felt confident she could do that. She had a reason to live now. Eric Del Carlo has been compulsively, convulsively and propulsively writing fiction for the vast majority of his lifetime. His successes include multiple appearances in such world-renowned science fiction publications as Analogue and Asimov's. His novels range from Sword and Sorcery, war-torn written with Robert Asprin, to Urban Fantasy, The Golden Gate is Empty, written with his father Vic Del Carlo to his upcoming young adult title, The Vampire Years. He's written podcasts for Earbud Theatre, had his novels released as Russian editions, and seen his fiction chosen for a year's best anthology. Sarah Golding is a voice actor, teacher, community theatre director, and was host of the audio drama production podcast. She's acted in a huge variety of audio drama podcasts as a huge variety of character types, with a diversity of accent and attitude. Faves she's appeared in include episode 405 of Edict Zero, Girl in Space, Winnebago Warrior, Hostile Worlds, a Scottish podcast, Ancestry, and more. She's a writer and hopes to share her own stories with you one day soon. Watch out. Find her at sarahgoldingvoiceactorandmore.weebly.com. This has been a production of Brick Moon Fiction. If you like what you hear, please head on over to iTunes, and why not give us a review? Oh, go on. Until next time, bye-bye. Ta-ta.